Amen. Good morning, Harvest Muskoka, Harvest Prairie Sound. Uh, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, if you throw your hand up, we'd love to get a Bible into your hands. If you don't own a Bible, then when you put your hand up, be sure to take this Bible home as our gift to you. But if, if you don't have a Bible this morning, put your hand up. We have ushers with Bibles who'd love to give you a copy of God's Word this morning so you can follow along in Ephesians chapter 6 as we finish off this series in the armor of God this morning. As you're turning to Ephesians chapter 6, it, it, it was a few years ago that I was invited to, to teach out of school, uh, a Bible college in Montana. And, and when I got there, the, the guy who invited me out was a past student of mine in a past ministry. So I was, I was excited to be there. I got there late Saturday night. That Sunday morning, we head to church. And I, I put my arm around behind him just say, hey, hey, Adam, thanks for, thanks for inviting me out here. And as I put my arm there, I felt a, a little bulge in the back of his shirt. I'm like, what is that? And he just nonchalantly goes, it's my gun. I'm like, you're packing heat in church? And he goes, most of the guys here are. The pastor's got a gun. And I'm like, what? I'm not falling asleep in this church. That pastor, hey, wake up, right? Could you imagine? And here's the thing. I was, now maybe it's because I'm Canadian, right? So I'm not like all into the handgun deal, but it freaked me out a little bit to be in a church filled with guns. Now, if, if I walked into that church and people were all wearing helmets, that would have been weird for sure. Like a bunch of people wearing hockey helmets in church, but probably wouldn't have freaked me out as much as a gun. There's just something about a, a loaded weapon that, that somebody's holding on to. And there's, there's something about that where you say, okay, this is serious. And then we've walked through the armor of God together. We've taken this little tour over the, the armor and, and now we come to the part of the armor that should feel a little bit like, hey, here's a loaded gun you get to take with you this morning. You, you put on the breastplate of righteousness. We talk about the helmet of salvation, the, the shoes of, a, of the gospel of peace. And there's, there's this feeling when you put on armor, okay, there's something serious happening here. But when, when that weapon is handed to you, it's a reminder, wait a minute, this is a battle. Like, like I'm not called to hide out in some bomb shelter and wait for everything to go by. No, I, I'm actually being sent out onto the front lines. I get a weapon to join in the fight. I, 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 I'm going to attack the enemy. In fact, your Bibles are open. Let's read through these verses from Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. It says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness as, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation. And here, here's Paul says this, and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Paul says, hey, hey, grab this sword, grab this thing. It's the word of God. And we've taken this whole tour through the armor of God over the last six weeks. And what's the armor, right? It's the blessings, it's the benefits, it's the power that you have. If you're a Christ follower, you have this in Christ Jesus, all this armor, and it's just a matter of putting it on. It's believing the truth of what the armor speaks about God and about you, and then living it out. That's putting on the armor. 
And he starts this whole thing with the belt of truth. And we, we talk about what is the truth? The truth are the promises of God. We're standing on the foundation of God's word and, and everything else fits into that belt as we stand strong. And then Paul ends it again by saying, hey, hey, and grab the word, grab the sword. With your feet firmly planted on this foundation of the truth of God's word, the promises of God's word, now take up the sword. The one part of the armor where you're going on the offensive now. The the piece of the armor that will actually do damage to the enemy. Not just protect you from the damage the enemy can inflict on you, but now you have a piece of armor where you get to go out on the offensive and take the battle to the enemy. You actually move forward in victory, not just stand in defense. And so Paul's saying, hey, the word just isn't your foundation, but but you use the word to move forward in victory. You're not cowering in fear. You're not not sitting around in apathy. No, you you take the battle to the enemy. And so this morning, I want us to, to get a hold of this idea. Listen, Harvest, grab your sword. I mean, that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, grab your sword. And throughout this whole series, I I hope you felt this urgency of what this battle is. That you felt the urgency of, man, we're not just cruising through life here. We're at war and there's an urgency to it, yet rarely do we feel it. I mean, very few people have this ongoing sense of this battle around. We, We don't wake up in the morning and go, man, I'm in a battle today. Maybe if you're in some hardship right now, you feel the battle probably more than most. But I think by and large, many of us go through life not aware of the battle that's all around us. We, we, we read the word and we worship and that reminds us, right, we're at war here. There's a deeper reality going on than just all the things we see around us. But we're immersed in a battle. And Paul here, almost waking us up from sleeping, says, take your sword. Like the commander of an army holding it out, going, hey, here it is. Here's your sword. You've got to grab a hold of this to go out into the battle. Now, now think about what that means for Paul to say, take your sword. Think of how that changes how you do life. If I were to phone you at 2 a.m. in the morning, all right, and you look at your phone and you're like, Pastor Kai's called, why is he calling me at 2 a.m.? And, and you pick it up, hey, hey, Pastor Kai, hello. And all I say is, grab your gun and then hang up the phone. All right, weird for sure that I would do that, but, but what would that say to you? I mean, even if you don't own a gun, you'd be thinking, man, something's going on here. Something urgent is happening. Even if you didn't hear all the info, because all I said was grab your gun, you would know that something's going down and it's probably urgent, it's probably serious, it's probably important, significant, dangerous. I mean, I grew up in the 80s, so I mean, I'd be thinking right away of the movie Red Dawn. Remember that movie, right? You call me, I'm like, okay, I'm Patrick Swayze. You're Charlie Sheen. Let's do this, all right? Okay, I got the microphone. I get to be Patrick Swayze, all right? (laughs) And we're gonna grab our guns and we're gonna save the world. That's what I would be thinking, right? And here Paul is wrapping up this whole letter. He spent the entire letter to the church saying, here's who God is. Here's who you are in light of of who God is. If you're a follower of Christ, you've repented, given your life to Christ, you now have the spirit of God in you and it changes everything. And, And he's been laying it out. It changes who you are. It changes how you do marriage, how you do family. It changes how we do church. It changes all our relationships. It even changes how you work. And then he ends off this whole thing. 
after laying all of that out, he says, grab your sword. Gra grab your sword. And it should jolt us a little bit to tell us, hey, I can't just sleep through this Christian life. There's a battle going on. Grab your sword. This is urgent. But not only is it just urgent, think about what he said. He didn't say grab your bow and arrow. He, he didn't say grab your catapult. He didn't say grab your spear. This isn't just an urgent battle. It's a battle right here in front of us. He said grab your sword. This is a, a personal in your face kind of fight. He started this thing out in verse 12 saying we wrestle. That's close up battle. That's not a far away fight. This isn't something that's being battled somewhere way out there. This is a battle happening right here. Right here this morning in your heart, there's a war that's waging. You and the enemy right now are at war. Not, the, not just this huge far off battle. We just gotta protect ourselves. No, you can't because the battle is happening even in your heart. It's the daily struggle. That's the spiritual warfare we've been talking about. It's not just what you would consider the huge fight. It's not, not things that you would say, well, that would be written in a book somewhere. That's a missionary kind of story. That's the kind of spiritual battle. No, it's not just those. It's those little conflicts every day. That's the battle. That's why you need the sword. And so often we don't have our sword out during the day. And so we lose those little battles every day. We, we may not see the outward scars of those battles, but our hearts are being wounded as we let the enemy take it to us. I mean, think about simple things. Think about something like, like being impatient. Somebody's irritating you. They're doing something about you. They didn't do things the way you wanted them to do it. And, and what's the thoughts of your heart when that person cuts you off and the person doesn't give you the right order, when your brother or sister's kind of ticking you off, when someone's not doing things right, what's your heart saying when that person is bugging you? Or you think, man, what an idiot. Like, why are they so annoying? Like, what are they even thinking when they're doing this? But listen, if you had your sword ready, maybe you'd ask a different question. Maybe you'd be speaking to the Lord and saying, God, how must I look to you every day? I fail you all the time, but you're so patient with me. Second Peter 3.15 says that it's the Lord's patience that leads to salvation. God, you're so patient with me. I, and, I, and right here in this moment, I'm not gonna partner with the devil and get impatience and anger and bitterness. And, and I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna let my heart fill with that. And you've got the sword out. I mean, do you say that when you're impatient? Yeah, me neither. <laughs> I think, what a doughhead, right? Sword's not out. And we lose that battle for our heart. It's those daily little skirmishes. Think about worry or anxiety. I mean, something comes up and we think, man, this isn't how it's supposed to happen. This is not how I had hoped it would be. Or do you grab your sword and say, Lord, you tell me in Matthew 6 not to worry, that you're gonna care for all my needs. Lord, I recognize this anxiety, this worry. It's just pride in me that thinks I know better than you and I'm scared that you're not gonna do things right by me. I'm sorry, Lord. It's a relief to know that you are in control and you know what's best. 
I mean, it, it's a little skirmish, isn't it? But it's, it's in those little daily fights, those small choices we make every day. Do, do I worry in this case? Do I lie to look better? Do I let my pride get the best of me? Do I gossip about this thing I've heard about? Do I respond rudely? Do I get mad? Do I slack off in this? We can either take out the sword or we could ignore those little battles and become less Christ-like every day. More grumpy, more unhappy, more anxious, more bored, more apathetic, more filled with pride, more of a hard person, more forgetting that our life is all about the glory of God, and we lose those battles. I mean, that's the spiritual warfare. I hope you're catching this, that, that that's what spiritual warfare is. It's not, it's not exorcisms. Is that a part of it? Sure, that comes with the regular day-to-day -day battle is happening every day for our hearts. Grab your sword. Grab your sword. Or how, how do I use this sword? Then how do I use the word of God in the battle? First of all, we, we, we see this. It's an offensive weapon. It's not just for defense. It's a weapon we use to take down the enemy. It's the weapon we use to take territory, to defeat the enemy. And I, I think as Christians, we can have as our mindset that I'm just here to hold ground. I'm, I'm back on my heels. I got the shoes of the gospel of peace, so I'm, I'm stable, but I'm, I'm leaning back. I'm just holding on for dear life, just waiting for Jesus to come back. I hope I can persevere through this. But what this verse is telling us, Paul's saying, grab the sword. You march forward in victory. When you feel the weightiness of sin and struggle, like, man, I'm always under attack. Can I ever get past this temptation? We're told here, grab your sword and move forward. I mean, think about it. Jesus promised us. He says, listen, I'll build my church with you. I'll build my church with you. And he says, the gates of hell will not overcome it. Interesting, he said the gates of hell. Gates don't move. You attack gates. And, and he's saying, listen, take up your sword. The people of God, move forward. Attack the gates of hell in victory. So to be a Christian, then it's not a sit back and just wait kind of faith. We're at war. We, we take the fight to the enemy. We take the fight to our hearts where, where in our hearts we're making peace with sin. God's word says, no, you're not supposed to do that. Take, take the war to your heart. Don't make peace with the lust. Don't make peace with the lies. Don't make peace with that pride. Don't make peace in your heart when you're setting up other idols above God. Don't make peace with that. Don't be okay with that. Don't be at, at peace when, when you have indifference towards hatred or, or injustice or poverty. Don't make peace. Don't, don't write up a treaty with your sin and go tell you what, I'm okay with you being here. We're not at peace, we're at war. As a theologian John Owen said in his commentary in Romans 8, he said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Grab your sword, we're at war. And Paul says, in this war, you've got this sword, this sword empowered by the Spirit, provided by the Spirit. Listen, you're not on your own in this battle. I love it. We're not even on our own with the weapon. It's not like, here's a weapon. Let's see how good you are with it. It says, no, no, it's given by the Spirit and empowered by the Spirit. It's a supernatural weapon to fight supernatural battles. 
This weapon has the power in it. Ephesians 1 says the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. You have that power. That's the weapon we're talking about this morning. So, so listen, if you feel defeated in sin, if you have a loved one who has strongholds in their life, like will they ever get through these? If you feel like it, it's just always something you're battling, listen, there's a weapon at your disposal with the power to tear down strongholds, the power to, to destroy lives, the power to restore and heal broken hearts and lives. And this sword, it's not about how strong you are. Listen, it's the spirit of God in this sword. So then how do we do battle then? How, how do we take up this sword? You know, in Matthew chapter four, we've talked about this a lot in this series where we see Jesus at battle, in battle, in the wilderness with Satan. He had just come through baptism where, where God the Father said of God the Son, he said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He then goes into the wilderness. He's fasted for 40 days and Satan comes after him and his first lie to him is this. He tempts him with this, if you are the son of God. I mean, how often does he do that in our life, right? He goes right after our identity. I mean, if you really are a Christian, if you really are a godly man, if you, if you really are a godly woman, if you really are a godly young person and begins to attack our identity, and comes after Jesus with temptation. Three times Satan attacks in Matthew chapter four. Three times Jesus responds with the sword, with scripture. Satan tempts him. And remember, 40 days he's been fasting. His first temptation is, hey, if you really are the son of God, why don't you turn these stones into bread? And Jesus right away quotes a verse in Deuteronomy. He says, hey, we don't live just on bread alone. We live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Satan tries again, and this, the second time Satan actually uses scripture, he's like, oh, okay, you're gonna use scripture? I'll use scripture too. And he twists it, takes it out of context, context tries to tempt Jesus again. Jesus responds with scripture. It ends with him trying to tempt Jesus to worship him. Hey, hey, stop worshiping God the Father. Why don't you worship me? And Jesus, again, quoting Deuteronomy, says, you shall worship the Lord your God, and only him shall you serve. In fact, if you read that, that, that account in Matthew 4, you'll see Jesus begins every attack with the sword. He begins by saying, it is written. It is written. It is written. I mean, can you do that in the battle? Do you have scripture stored up in your heart where you'd be able to say, it is written? Psalm 119 verse 11 says, your word I have stored in my heart that I might not sin against you. Do you have the word stored up in your heart so when the, when the battle comes, you can say, no, 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 it is written. When temptation comes, when, when struggle comes, when you're, when you're sharing your faith, when you're on mission, can you throw open the storehouse of your heart, the weapon house of your heart? What's in there? Now listen, I'm not saying, you don't need to know the address of every verse, but like, do you have God's word in your heart where you go, no, God's word says this. Maybe you're thinking, yeah, Kai, that's a great example of Jesus, but I'm not Jesus. Like he's probably got like the brave heart sword and I've got this little plastic cocktail sword, right? Like I'm trying to, I'm not Jesus. I can't fight in the same way he fought. Listen, when Jesus was attacked, when he fought back against the enemy, he opened up the storehouse and used the same word we have access to. The same word. 
I mean, I mean, how cool is that? We can, we can stop. Can we just stop all the pity parties we have? Of, I'm just not equipped to, to handle this. I just don't have this, enough power to go against this. I, I just don't have the resources to deal with this. We have the same sword that Jesus used. Paul says, take up that sword. When he says in verse 17, take up the sword of the spirit, the, the word he uses here in the Greek is, is rhema. Take up the rhema for word. Now, a lot of times in scripture, the word used for, for the word of God is logos. Here, Paul uses rhema. There's a specific use of this word. And what that word, it, it literally means the spoken word of God. Not just the general truth of God or the promises of God. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying this is taking God's word and applying it. That's using the sword. It's opening up that storehouse of weapons you have in your heart in God's word and you grab the weapon that speaks to the situation you're in. Well, when Paul was looking at the Roman soldier, the sword he saw wasn't a big, long sword. It was this short sword that the, the soldier would use for precision attacks in close-up battle. It's called the machaira. That's the, the type of sword and, and the, the soldier would use it with precision. Paul's saying, can you use the word of God that way? Yeah, have you spent enough time in God's word and in prayer so that you have a weapon to stand in times of temptation? You have a, a weapon to stand up against the lies the evil one is saying to you. You have a, the, the sword to stand up to all the lies we hear in our world around us. Listen, at no other time has the lie been made to look more like the truth in, in the world we live in today. Do you have the sword? Do you have the sword to, to stand up to the accusations you may be hearing from the evil one? I mean, have you, have you read it? Have you studied it? Have you meditated on it? Have you memorized God's word? Now, now I know when we start talking about that, we're like, okay, wait a minute. My kids memorize scripture. I haven't done it since I was a kid. Or, or maybe you're saying, you know, I'm not much of a reader. I, I didn't do well in school. And so I don't study really well. I mean, I can't memorize verses from the Bible. I've, I've tried, it just doesn't work. Okay, tell you what, what if I said, okay, I'll give everybody $100 for every verse you memorize for the month of March. You're like Jesus wept, 100 bucks right there, right? <laughs> okay, I'm not doing it. So if you're starting to go, this is gonna be great. I'm not doing that. But what if I did say that? Well, I'll give you $100. You got the month of March, memorize as much as you can. I'm telling you, man, we will be memorizing a ton of scripture. We would be having a little calculator going, and I'm just gonna rock it in this month. Listen, $100 is nothing compared to the power, the riches, the beauty that we have in God's word that, that you can have victory in this life walking with the word in your heart. Now, just this week, I was just reading over Psalm 119. I mean, you wanna read a good passage of scripture that talks about how awesome God's word is, Psalm 119. Verse nine says this, how does a young man keep his way pure? I mean, think about that. You're a young guy here this morning. How do you keep your way pure? This is guarding it according to God's word. Psalm 119, 97 and 98 says, I love God's word. It's my meditation all the day. It makes me wiser than my enemies. I mean, think about that. Think about how wise Satan is. The devil's been around for a long time. He's observed us for thousands of years. He knows how we act and move and work. He kind of gets us better than we get ourselves. But that verse says, listen, listen, if you hide God's word in your heart, you're wiser than he is. 
If you're careful and faithful and committed to digging into the word. Psalm 119 verse 45 says that I can, I can walk in freedom because I've devoted myself to God's word. By being in God's word, we have freedom. I love the word that the psalmist chose or that word freedom. He says, I can walk in wide open spaces. I mean, think about think of a deer coming out of the woods into a wide open field. When does a deer do that? When the deer feels safe. When, it, when it's not threatened. And, and it, it feeds in the field. Listen, listen, when you have God's word pouring over you, when you're in the word, the word's in you, you can walk without fear. You can, you can walk in freedom. We haven't been given a spirit of fear, but of, of power and love and self-control. Psalm 119, 105 says the word is a lamp for our feet. It gives us guidance. Psalm 119, 92 says, if your law had not been my delight, then I would have perished in my affliction. I'll never forget your precepts, for by them you've revived me. So listen, how do you use the sword when you're in a tough place? Are you suffering? Are you, are you hurting? How do you have victory? By digging into God's word, finding his promise and saying, I'm holding on to that promise. I mean, if we're gonna have victory, if we're gonna transform our world for the gospel and for the glory of God, listen, we need to get into the word so the word gets into us so we're changed to be more like Christ. So let me encourage you this morning, if this has never been a part of your Christian walk, make it a part of your walk. Grab a good study Bible. If you don't have enough money for a study Bible, I'll tell you what, this is how important it is. If you don't have, you come grab me, I'll buy you a study Bible. Okay, now if you call me on your smartphone to tell me you can't afford, I'm not buying it for you, right? You can afford a study Bible, you can afford one of those, okay? But I'm, I'm serious. And Libby, my wife's not in the first service, so I can make this promise, all right? <laughs> Get a good study Bible. Go, go on, there's so many tools online for us to, to use. Grab some commentaries, dig deeper. Okay, now, now maybe right now you're like, man, okay, I get it, Pastor Kai. Like, I, I, want, I want this, I want this victory. I'm in, man, I've never really read the word, but I'm, I'm starting this afternoon. I'm going through the whole thing, man. All right, I'm telling you, Genesis, you'll do fine. Once you hit Leviticus, you're gonna totally just done, right? You'll just burn right out, okay? Been there, got the t-shirt, right? I've seen that, I've done it myself. Listen, for some of you here this morning, why don't you just grab a verse or two and tattoo that on your heart? This is not about being a theological fathead. It's not about trying to get as much knowledge. It's about knowing the word intimately, being floored by it, and then walking in faith according to what you've read. Grab your sword. Listen, we, we could spend so much time right now talking about different ways to study the word and how do you do it. Um, let me just encourage you this. Jump online, go on our website. And there's a, there's a, a tab up there that says resources and getting into the word. And, and in there, the very first thing, is it's the STAR method, we call it. S-T-A-R, just a simple way to read God's word. S stands for scripture. You find a, a, a portion of scripture that you can read, right? Maybe just a, a paragraph, a few verses, a chapter. And then the T is the truth. You're going, okay, writing down, what's the truth I read in this? What's the truth of what this scripture is saying? S-T-A of the R, what's the application? How do I apply that to my life? How do I take the sword and be able to use it with precision with what I'm going through today or will experience in my walk today? Write that out. 
then the R is responding. That's where, where you just take it to the Lord in prayer and say, Father, would you, would you imprint this on my heart? Would you change the way I look and live because of what you've spoken, the truth of what I've just read? Listen, it's, it's simply, there are memorizing apps you can get for your phone. There are, are if, if you have a smartphone, grab the version Bible. You, Y-O-U version. It's got reading plans in it. Listen, I don't think that in our time and age, our problem is not a lack of resources. It's a lack of resolve. Grab your sword. I mean, if you're in a small group, and I hope you are, if you're in a small group, man, I'm hoping in your small group, people are asking every week, hey, what are you reading this week? What's God been showing you in his word this week? And as you look in your life and you start to compare how much time you give in your life, how much time do I spend in front of a television? How much time do I spend cruising Facebook or Pinterest? How much time do I spend in, in all these other things compared to how much time I spend in the life-changing word of God? Grab your sword. But like every piece of the armor, it's not just about, about grabbing, it's about then living it out. Live out the truth of what you hear in God's word because it's not about the quantity that you read. It's not about, am I gonna read so much? Because we're not reading it just for information, right? We're reading it for transformation. There are people who, who know the word better than you and I. There are people who are in it all the time, but they never let the word get into them. I mean, think about the Pharisees. The Pharisees, by the time they were 12 years old, will have memorized the first five books of the Old Testament. I mean, think about that. I mean, they knew the word. And yet, yet here are these, these guys who could quote, quote scripture so well, it never changed them. They, they knew the word, but the word never changed them. In fact, Jesus said to them in John 5, 39, he says, you look into the scriptures so diligently, thinking that in them you find eternal life. But he says, you completely miss it. The scriptures are pointing to me, Jesus says. I mean, it's so scary that they could know the word so well and yet completely miss Jesus. I'm sure you've met people like that. They know this thing front and back and yet they continue to miss Jesus. Now, if, if you hear this sermon and, and you walk out of here thinking this, oh great, more things for me to do. And I hope you don't ever hear me preach in that way. If you do, it's a fail of a sermon because listen, if it's just about here's more things to do, that's just moralism, all right? Oprah could preach that sermon. New Age gurus can preach that sermon. If it's just a bunch of things that you have to do, and I hope I, I could preach in a way that doesn't just point you to moralism, but I wanna point you to Jesus because we, we need Jesus to show up or we've got nothing. As you dig into the word, you're looking for Jesus. You want the spirit to empower what you're reading. If, if you hear a message or you read the word and you think, man, I can't do this, you're right. You can't. It's why we need a savior. It's why we need a hero. It's why we need Jesus who promises to change us. It's why when you give your life to Christ, you then have the Spirit of God fill you to transform you. Because look where Paul goes. He, he lays out, here's the sword. You need this sword. But look where he goes in verse 18. He doesn't stop there. Ephesians 6 verse 18, he says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So this morning, when you grab the sword, understand what it is. It's the word of God empowered by the spirit of God. 
It's the word of God empowered by the spirit of God. So where we lack victory, where we lack power in our lives, where, where the sword seems so small, where, where we lack the presence of Jesus in our lives, much of that has to do because we lack in fervent, on our face, giving up other stuff to do it kind of prayer. Martin Luther said this, he said, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. The sword of the spirit is empowered by the spirit and without prayer, we are powerless. This sword is powerless. We need God's spirit in it and in us and so we begin to pray. And what are we praying as we wield the sword? We're praying this, God, I see a gap between the circumstances I'm in and what I see as your promises for me. There's a gap here. So what are we doing? We're praying inside that gap. We're praying saying, God, you told me to pray for your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And there's a gap in front of me between what I see, God, and what I, I think you're wanting to do. And so in that gap, we call out to God. We take out the sword and the promises of God, and we go after the enemy. We, we take out God's word because we want to pray the promises of God. We want to pray God's heart in that gap. An effective prayer begins when, when you see that gap where there's a situation and where God wants to step in. Let me give you an example from history. There's this missionary, John Payton, Scottish missionary to the uh, Vanuatu Islands and in, in the 19th century. And this is a, an island back then where it was full of cannibals. Any newcomer, visitor who would come would be eaten. He's going there as a missionary. So imagine planting a church there, right? Come on out to church, everybody. There'll be a potluck after, <laughs> right? <laughs> But here's something John Payton knew. He, he knew that God had called him. He knew that God had said that his word would be preached throughout all the world and to reach the nation. So in the face of huge opposition, he sets out. And, and here's what he wrote. He said, I was besieged with the strongest opposition on all sides. One of my seminary professors told me that I was leaving certainty for uncertainty. Does that sound like a good plan? Like, I don't know why that guy thinks that's a bad plan. But he said, you're, you're leaving certainty for uncertainty. He said, I was leaving work in which God had made me greatly, greatly useful. He was a pastor of a growing church. And the seminary professor said, you're only gonna throw your life away for these cannibals. He said this, one dear old Christian deacon said to me, son, you'll be eaten by cannibals. And I replied, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave where you'll be eaten by worms. If I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. He said this, he said, the opposition was so strong from nearly all that I was driven to exceedingly seek God in prayer. There was a gap between what he knew God was calling him to do, to reach this island that had never been reached with the gospel for the glory of God, and he prayed in that gap. He had a brutal but exhilarating life. When he first got there, his, his wife died in childbirth and he had to, for a week, sleep on the grave of his wife and, and newly born child that died. He had to sleep on the grave to, to protect them from the cannibals who wanted to come and dig up the graves to eat them. He was in constant battle on his knees. 
And eventually he saw a breakthrough. In 1858, when he arrived on, the, on this, this island, he, no one had heard of Jesus. 35 years later, when he died, he wrote in his journal that everyone that I shared the gospel with gave their life to Christ. And here's the cool thing. One of the chiefs who did give his life to Christ came to John one day. And he said, can I ask you a question? He said, when you first got here, who was that army that was with you that surrounded your hut every night? He prayed in the gap. I mean, how do we expect to attack the gates of hell without the power of God? How, how do we expect to do our daily life without being daily connected to God? John Payton sees the gap and he prayed towards victory. So right now in your life, where's the gap? Where, where do you need God to desperately show up? Where do you see a gap with who you are and what God has called you to be? Is there a gap in your heart? And you've given up praying and you've given up God's word in that gap. Is there a gap in your life? Is there, is there a gap in your marriage? You know what God's called for your marriage, but there's this gap there. Are you, are you in that gap? Is there a gap in your kids? in your school, in your job, in, in your ministry, in, in our church. Like, let's dig into the word. Let's get on our knees and let's see the victory. You gotta think, where are the, where's the greatest battle we see in scripture? The, the greatest cosmic battle we see in scripture, I mean, I would say, would be the cross, wouldn't it? That, that place where Jesus took on the full wrath of God in our place, Satan thought he had won because he had killed the Messiah. But listen, listen, Jesus wasn't murdered. Right? He wasn't crushed in the wheels of history. He was turning those wheels. Right? He gave his life for us. And there's this battle we picture on the cross, which would be the greatest battle ever. The battle for, for eternity, for your soul and my soul, where Jesus hung on that cross, the full wrath of God on him for our sin. Three days later, though, as he raises from the grave, the stone rolled away. He conquers sin and death and Satan. But you know what I think? When I read through scripture, when I read the gospels, you know where that battle actually began? You know where I think that Jesus got victory? It was the night before in the Garden of Gethsemane. And when he prayed, where he called out to God, where, where he begged his friends, can you stay awake just for this time to pray for me because I know what's coming. And he called out to God the Father saying, Father, if there's any other way, praying so hard, he sweat drops of blood and he's calling out in this battle the night before. And the prayer ends in this victorious statement where he says, not my will, but yours, Father. Then, then you see the amazing strength of Christ throughout the trials on the cross. Listen, I think he won the battle that night in prayer. And he said to his disciples, pray with me. Would you, would you pray as well? And you remember the story, right? Jesus goes and he prays and he says to his disciples, stay here and pray. And he comes back and what are they doing, right? They're asleep. I mean, I imagine because I think this way, I imagine I kind of go, what, and help the missionaries and what, right? Trying to, and he's like, you guys are asleep. I asked you to pray. 
And he said something interesting. He said, hey, pray right now so that you what? So that you won't be deceived. You don't fall into temptation. He says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He says, pray that you won't fall into temptation. What do they do? They fell asleep again. And what do we see that night? We see Peter fall into temptation. Lose the battle, deny Jesus. Lost the battle, I think, way before the temptation to deny Christ came. He lost the battle that night by not persevering in prayer. Listen, Jesus says to us in John 15, five, you can do nothing apart from me. Psalm 127.1 says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. Unless the Lord builds your marriage, unless the Lord builds your family, unless the Lord builds your life, unless the Lord builds this church, we labor in vain. So are you staying awake? Are you battling in prayer to see God at work in the gap? Are you, are you enduring in prayer? Are you persevering in prayer? I, I love the story in, I think, Daniel 9 or 10, where Daniel's praying. And while he's praying, an angel comes up to him, taps his shoulder. He says, Daniel, Daniel, heard your prayer the first time you prayed it, but for 21 days, I was battling in the spiritual realm. 21 days, Daniel stayed on his knees calling out prayer. His prayer was answered in day one. He st- the, the help, the spiritual resources coming to him were on their way starting in day one. He persevered in prayer. What would have happened if Daniel stopped praying on day 10? Daniel prayed for Israel to be released from captivity. It was 70 years he prayed for that. What are you calling out to God for? Where do you need God's power? Where where are there gaps in your life where you need God's word to be applied as the sword in your life? Where are those places? Listen, I'm telling you, without God's power, it's not gonna happen, but let's stay persevering in it. Nothing has happened in our church that could be explained. I'm telling you, nothing. We've never had the resource to do anything we've done, ever. We always stand up and go, hey, uh, we got this thing. We think God's calling us to this, to, to buy a piece of property, to start a new ministry, to, and, and every, to, to launch a campus church. We don't have the resources and the people or the ability or any of that. What does God do? He shows up. Every, everything that's happened of significance, marriages being healed, addictions being broken, prodigals coming home, lives being radically changed, people who are coming into our church where you know you do it, you turn, you go, man, I can't believe they're here, right? Maybe you're one of those people. Praise God, because it's only through the work of his spirit that any of us have been transformed. None of this has happened outside of the work of the Lord. So where is it in your life right now? What are you calling out to God for? Maybe you've been calling out for years. You've been calling for your prodigal to come home. You've been calling out for that that sin you continue to fall into. You've been calling out for, for that relationship to be restored. I'm telling you, listen, unless God tells you to stop, keep praying. Keep leaning and keep grabbing the sword of the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, on your knees in prayer, and let's see God lead us to victory, amen? As the worst team comes up, I just got one last thing. It was, it was 1996, and I was in New Orleans during Mardi Gras. Okay, if you know anything about that, not a good place for a good Christian boy to be. But there I was, all right? And it was, it was before the evening really got going, so the crowds weren't out yet. 
And, and, and while we're walking, we saw these three massive dudes, all right? Just huge guys. If they weren't on steroids, they were lifting weights since they came out of the womb, okay? These, you remember they, they wear those like string little uh, tank tops kind of dudes. They have muscles on top of muscles. Ma and they were creating trouble outside this hotel. And so people at the hotel, they phoned the police. And listen, I've watched cops on TV. I'm sticking around because I get to see it live right here, right? I want to see what happens. And these three massive dudes causing trouble. Cruiser pulls up. Out of it steps this little, barely five-foot female officer. And listen, I'm not being sexist. Some of you ladies could kick my butt. I get it, right? But, that, but I was expecting with three huge dudes. Man, I want like the six-foot-six cop to show up. She steps out of the cruiser, walks up and goes, do we have a problem here, gentlemen? And they start to just start to lip her off, give her trouble. Like, get out of here, right? She, she looks at him. She points to her badge. She goes, this here gives me the authority of the city of New Orleans. She says, why don't you guys come over to the car and get up against the car? They still don't move. She unbuckles her, uh, her holster, right? And I don't know, I mean, I'm police officer in Canada, I don't know how it works for you guys, like what size of gun you're allowed to carry, but it seems in the States, they can pretty much carry whatever they want because she had this thing, it was dirty, hairy, like right down her entire leg, this massive gun, right? Now she was tiny, so probably looked even bigger, but she unclips that. What do those dudes do? Boom, up against the car, right? And in no time, there's these three guys handcuffed and you know why? Why? Because she had all the authority and then she had the power to back up that authority. Listen, Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, you have the authority of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Your badge is your position in Christ that you've been called his child, his ambassador on earth. And you have on your side the sword of the spirit empowered by the spirit of God. And the enemy has to obey. The enemy has to respond to your authority. When you believe it, when you apply it, when you wield the sword, you don't have to be a spiritual giant. You don't have to be going through seminary. What you do have to do is grab a hold of the truth of who God is, who you are in Christ. Grab a hold of the reality of this, that my life is worth nothing except to bring glory to God. Paul says, wear the armor, grab the sword. And listen, he ends this by saying, this is all you need. That like Jesus, you can endure. You can take up the sword. And may we be a people, listen, Harvest, may we be a people who dig into God's word and move forward in victory on our knees in prayer. Amen. Just stand with me as we close.